Recorded live. Welcome to the Golden Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Welcome to the Cult Collective, episode 69. Something that Ian seems to think is an amusing number, but without him today, you're going to have to make do with me in serious mode. How if he gets it? But then, of course, Shields stands names like Thud and Squee. So there you go. Um, the Cult Collective, we will be talking about from the mind of Terry Gilliam. Uh, and that will be our topic today after we've gone through the uh, news. But before we do that, let me just uh, welcome, well, first of all, I'd better make an apology. Ian's got um, family visitors over from New Zealand, so won't be with us today. Uh, and he sends his apologies and says, Dave, try and be a bit funnier. And uh, <laughs> you've just seen my attempt at that. All right, let me welcome the people in the room that are on mic. The giggles you heard are from um, uh, one of our Colton Collective, who was an absolute Asset, a real gem when we did our um, Rachel Bloom uh, interview uh, recently because she's a real big whiz on comedy people. So I've got a feeling that Hook's going to come any minute and throw me off the stage. So, um, Howley T, welcome to the room. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I'd never make it as a stand-up comic, would I? No. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever done that yourself? I mean, a, a, a uni or anything? Uh, not yet, but a couple of times in Edinburgh I've ended up getting dragged on stage, and on one member location, felt up by puppets, which was uh, uh-huh. interesting. <laughs> it wasn't the was Scottish it? falsetto puppets, was it? I like them. Oh, I like them. I like them a lot. Oh, David, <laughs> long, don't no, do it. Long don't as, do it. <laughs> as long as she got, got the odd laugh, that's all that matters. Yeah, I get the odd look. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, you heard the voice of Mr. Tim Jury. Hi, Tim. Uh, hi Dave, not the best of weekends for me, so I won't be on the show long this week. Sorry, folks. Well, we'll go for your, to your news first, once well, so we've got the introductions over with, uh, and we've got uh, Charlie seventy nine P, who's already about uh, scored fifteen points in the pre-show. Oh, great, hi, Charlie. Hello, Dave. Hello, everybody. Good uh, to have you here, and Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hi, Darth. Hey, Dave. How are you? Fine. And let me just uh, play the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And today under the cone of silence, we've got Merlin. Hi, Merlin. We've got Mike Randathor, who may possibly get on microphone later. And I hope so, because um, this particular topic today was um, one of his... um, Oh, losing my voice already. One of his suggestions. And we've also got my 
uh, doppelganger, my evil twin, Mr. Dave AC. <laughs> Don't do the jokes, Dave. Get okay, we're going to go with news, and as you heard, Tim may not be with us long, so we'll go with your news and possibly a little item of your little visit. Uh, well, um, we all love Triffids here, and uh, it's it's a book that's um, now been adapted to radio, to television twice now by the BBC, uh, but uh, sfx.co.uk bring us news that Sam Raimi uh, may be lined up to direct uh, the film version uh, Mandate Pictures, in partnership with Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert, have won the rights to produce a big screen version, so he's either going to be producing or directing it, of the John Wyndham Killer Plant novel, The Day of the Triffids. Uh, Raimi intends to direct it according to Deadline. The rights were subject to a bidding war, which also included Harry Potter director David Yates, so um, clearly different takes on it there from different directors. Um, I'll put the link in chat for people. And uh, do you want to hear about this um, this signing I went to today before I disappeared? Yes, just, just briefly. I mean, we all know that you have your own podcast, and please mention that as well. But um, yeah, just a little taster of it. Well, it, it, it was it was a long queue. I'll say, I'll say this much, to say the least, because I thought I was getting strategic with my train times, and when I got to London, I thought, well, I'll get there a good couple of hours before the signing started and I went into Forbidden Planet and bought this was um, Simon Pegg's uh, signing because he was signing his uh, his uh, new autobiographical book Nerds Do Well at Forbidden Planet in London and uh, I said to them uh, Where, where's the queue for the Simon Pegg signing and they said well you go round the back of the building and I went round the back of the building and there was this queue and it went on and on and then it went round a corner and then I joined it <laughs> and I sat down <laughs> And I was there for a good couple of hours, I can tell you, two to three hours. And um, before the um, signing started, as well as like things like passing the time, like what do you do when you, you've got time to wait? You watch Dave AC's V-blog because it's 15 minutes long. <laughs> Five points. Uh, yeah. And, uh, well, the signing was advertised at starting at 4 p.m., and so people were checking their watches and sort of, oh, how much longer are we going to have to wait? Because it, it was sort of a chilly autumnal day. And at about 3.30, and this happened so quickly, I didn't get any photographs or video of it. Uh, a chauffeur-driven car drove down this side street we were on, Simon Pegg's car, and he put his head out the window and he just said to us all, thanks for coming, I'll see you inside later. And what a star, because... You just don't normally get that at signings. Um, the the person that's signing, the, the, he's been very busy in recent days. He's been travelling all over the UK doing these signings, um, plugging his book on the chat shows and that. And just to that that little moment, I think helped made it make it. And then um, uh, when I did get in, I'd, I'd I'd been plotting for a couple of days to possibly cheekily ask him to record even just a tiny bit of audio for my podcast, but then I could see he was really busy with the signing, so I thought that's a no, no go. Uh, but um, uh, you were asked to what was your name, and they'd write it down so he could um, personalise the autograph. And he looked at my piece of paper that said Tim, and he went, Tim, Timmy, Tim. And I said to him, 
uh, yeah, I thought it was great that there was a character in your show spaced with the name Tim because there's not many characters called Tim on television. And he looked at me quite deadpan and he said, of course we named him in your honour. Sorry, Timothy, but there is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's not an enormous amount of characters called Tim. <laughs> there's actors called Tim more than there are characters called Tim. Timothy? Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a Timothy, not a Tim. That's true. It's true indeed. You see, in, in space, it's specifically a Tim, which I, for those, I think I think it weirded me about out a bit when the show was on for the first time because my name kept showing up so many times when it was on. Yeah, and, I mean, I know Darth will know, but that's the Roddy Corbett comedy show from a while back. I'm talking about. And, and Forbidden Planet were really well organised with this signing, possibly because it's Simon Pegg. They'd gone out of their way, and there was um, a staff member stood nearby, and she took my camera, and so there's a picture of me in my coat and my woolly hat. <laughs> I look terrible. Simon Pegg just looks tired and stressed. But um, <laughs> there's me and him, and I'll, I'll dig that link out and uh, and uh, put it in chat, which will take me a couple of seconds. But, oh, there it is, yeah. And... Um, I should have grabbed one of these, but I was so nervous like half an hour when I meet celebrities that I didn't think to. I'm just glad I had even the briefest of conversations with him, but he'd said on his Twitter feed, in honour of Douglas Adams, there will be 42 Jaffa Cakes. And he said, oh, there will be a Jaffa Cake for the first 42 people, and I was not remotely in the first 42. And as you can see in this photograph I'm about to put in chat, there's still Jaffa Cakes left, and I didn't even think to grab one. <laughs> but... um. Freshly uploaded to uh, my Flickr tonight. That's a picture of me meeting Simon Pegg. And, um, well, uh, I think I'm going to have to hang up because um, I won't go into details, but um, I was burgled and there's just stuff. <laughs> stuff to deal with. Uh, uh, more to the point, not stuff to deal with. <laughs> well, it's just... I'm just yeah. taking my mind off it because when I've dealt with stuff... I'm going to put a Doctor Who DVD on to chill out. Right. And then, then, of course, there's David Tennant's show on 9pm in UK time. So um, I'll catch the rest of the show in the week and um, uh, good luck with it. Yeah, just uh, I won't ask any plot points. Is this the third and final part tonight? Is it three Are parts? The, I I've lost track. Five? Um, uh, who's been watching it? Have you been watching it, Howley? Yeah. Single father. Blocks. Yeah, the, it, there are five, are they? I have no idea. I've not I had a telly paper in about a month. I thought there were four. Yeah, I think it may be four. I, I think last week's was three, yes, three and I four. think tonight's yeah. is probably three, the, the last one. But uh, it's, it's it's been a very good watch. There's been some, some top-notch acting talent in it. And I, 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 I like watching it because I'm a photographer and he plays a photographer and I can sort of kind of relate to that a bit. So, it um, makes me cry. Mm, yeah. Right. Well, of course, we won't say any spoilers on air, but uh, yeah, I, I I stopped watching it because uh, the events were a bit too near my own personal history. So um, yeah. I no, it's, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not an easy yeah, thing to watch. Which you need a sort of government health warning. If if you are dealing with grief, do <laughs> not watch this. <laughs> but um, no, uh, it, it's it's a good watch, but um. Yeah, the only thing that annoyed me was it, the cop out that the first story started, and then they said they went to six weeks or ten weeks later. I thought that's the hardest bloody ten weeks they've missed out. 
that's why they well, I was <laughs> I was I was glad actually Dave I was glad that they did a flashback because um his uh wife in it was played by a very good Scottish actress known as Laura Fraser and I felt a little bit cheated by part 1 because her character was I'm not wanting to spoil it too much but let's just say dispatched with quite quickly and so to have a bit more of her in part 2 was was good and yeah. clearly it was written to we've got this really good actress, we must have her in more than one episode. But um, Yeah, well, so again, I'll... we don't want to get into spoiler territory. I mean, of course, it's called Single Father, so you can guess mm. pretty much that part anyway. But um, anyway, thanks for making the effort to come on, Tim. Hope you get yeah. uh, sorted. And um, uh, news to anybody else, there are Daleks on patrol around his neighbourhood <laughs> now. <laughs> Bye-bye, uh, Dave. Good luck Cheers. with the show. <laughs> I think I might need that. <laughs> uh, but we've got the rest of the collective to help me and calling on Mr. Charlie P next with his news. Well, I just uh, wanted to give a heads up that um, Sherlock uh, is going to be on PBS tonight, uh, oh, 8 o'clock cool. Yeah, 8 o'clock Central. Uh, wow, and, um, that's quick. Masterpiece, yeah, well, <laughs> better late than never. Um, yeah, Masterpiece yeah. Mystery tonight. So... Uh, and it should be on what the it's what, three episodes long, so it should be the, the, the uh, next three Sundays at eight o'clock central. So that is excellent. Well, I I highly recommend anybody who has that channel uh, to catch it. Uh, I thought it was uh, really well done, absolutely well done. I'm hoping that. Um, well, I think in actual fact they they have commissioned another three more, haven't they? That's one of the reasons why we're getting this. Uh, two-part dot two series next year are either two short seasons or series are the mid-break and I think it takes some slight credit in mentioning early on on one of our shows that that seemed to me to be the only reason for them doing it to spread Stephen Moffat's workload out okay Charlie that's all you had to say yep okay we'll go to Darth then if we may um, well, a little bit more Hobbit news, I guess, this week. Uh, oh, we good, because Mike can't say anything. Right, we were sort of speculating last week that uh, it looked like maybe that um, um, Martin Freeman was going to be getting the lead role in The Hobbit, but that he had some uh, details to work out, most notably his involvement in the next series of Sherlock and how that might conflict with the uh, filming of The Hobbit. But apparently those have bound been resolved, and he is, in fact, Bilbo Baggins. And I guess, of note to some people, but not particularly to me, um, Sylvester McCoy is saying that he's got some sort of role in there officially now, although, according to the Doctor Who news page, he has not actually signed any contracts, so there's still a chance for Peter Jackson to come to his senses and not cast Sylvester McCoy, but you never know. Um, so that's good news that we're, we're now moving quite forward on that. Um, we also have, um, and, and it's really hard to encapsulate this into a single... Um, uh, note um, but I'll just say that if you go to moviephone.com you'll see the result, results of an exclusive um, trip that they had to the set of Green Lantern um, they were they were recorded a special viewing of, the, of that set by Warner Brothers and uh, also there's some new digital images I think they're new they, I've certainly never seen it before um, sort of matte background matte painting uh, stuff of what looks to be Oa 
Actually, it all looks to be Oa. Um, so if you're a Green Lantern fan, um, head over to blogmoviephone.com and enter uh, Green Lantern into a search engine, and you'll find this um, intriguing article that's entitled Five Things We Learned on the Set of Green Lantern. It is, I suppose, a spoiler, though it's really only a spoiler if you don't know anything about Green Lantern as a property. I don't think that anything that's in this will be a spoiler to anybody who's familiar with uh, Green Lantern. But some new images and some new ideas that are coming off there. Um, also, something I guess I didn't really pay attention to, um, but the production designer is Grant Major, which I guess has been known for a long time, but I just never figured that out. Uh, but this article talks about that because Grant Major was apparently a major interviewee of this, that contributed to this article. And Grant Major, of course, is the production designer of Lord of the Rings. Um, so that gives me some additional reason to be excited about this project. Uh, I think that's probably about it. Oh, oh no, there is something of interest to us since we did a retrospective about H.G. Wells. Um, this week we got confirmation of one of the extras on the arc of William Hartnell's story that's coming out on DVD, and uh, there's going to be um, a documentary on there that's called All's Well That Ends Well, which is apparently a feature on the influence of H.G. Wells on Doctor Who. So that might be good mm-hmm. because th- th- there are lesser reasons to buy that um, that DVD than maybe other Doctor Who serials just because it's a mediocre story. Right. Okay. Also, if you're really if you're really a backstage production geek on Doctor Who, they've got one on the arc about that's called Riverside Story, which is about Riverside Studios, which was this sort of interim studio that Doctor Who went to um, between Lime Grove and fully getting into Television Center. And important things happened at Riverside. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think Power of the Daleks was filmed at and Riverside. So that the the original, well, Power of the Dogs and I guess some studio of Tenth um, Planet. So I think I'm right in saying that Riverside is the location of the first regeneration sequence. Um, but at any rate, Riverside is a, kind of a forgotten studio that gets overshadowed by you know uh, tales of Lime Grove Studio, the original Doctor Who studio, and um, Television Center, which is you know the studio at which original Doctor Who was mostly made. So I'm kind of looking forward to this arc uh, release for that. And there we go. Okay, and um, just before we go to Howie T and then my own news, uh, perhaps we should have had the Typing Monkey. <laughs> there you are, Ian, my first deliberate mistake. <laughs> You'll be in trouble. <laughs> I will indeed. I can't do too, too many things at once. Go on, uh, Howley, you've got a brief piece of news, I believe. Uh, yes, I was down in Cardiff Bay last night, despite the fact I'd been here a month. It was the first time I made it. And two notes of amusement. One where I was five minutes from the station before I saw an 11th Doctor cosplayer. <laughs> and I went down to have a look at the Yanto Memorial that has taken over what was the entrance to the Torchwood Hub. And I can confirm it is still going worryingly strong. It's not only grown in size since it started, but it still seems to be fairly up to date. There was an awful lot of new petitions stapled to it. So, um, you know, for Yanto fans, clearly they're not giving up until RTD <laughs> brings right. it back. 
Did you did you recognise? I mean, did you have a chance to read any of them? Did you see anything there from Romana too, or did you leave anything there yourself? No, I stood and had a look, but um, there were lots of people kind of up on the bay above giving me dirty looks, so I scurried away again. Oh, why is that? They think you're going to vandalise it or something? Go no, I think it was more the sort of the the bored look of people who live here going, oh, for God's sake, not another fan. <laughs> another nutter, a nutter. Yeah. And, yeah, I stood and had a look and thought, yeah, and then I ran away. So I got, I got to ask, what is the point of that memorial now that Torchwood is not being made there? Who are they I trying to know. influence? Well, I scenes will be from there, won't they? Will they? Yeah, they, I'm sure they said, they said that um, it, there will be some scenes from Cardiff, whether it's only in the actual, uh, you know, the, the very first opening bit. You know, uh, they get a telephone call in Cardiff, come to come to New York. Yeah. I don't know if they'll be out in Cardiff Bay, though. So. Oh, no, not out and about, I don't suppose, no. No, it's probably, if it's going to be anywhere, it'll be a, you know, a name. A few aerial shots or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, they pretty much still seem to be going for trying to convince Russell T that, you know, yeah. they must somehow resurrect Yanto. A pity they can't fly to New York on my family, isn't it? I mean, that would help. <laughs> Save them a bit of money. Yeah. Okay. Is is that is that your news? That was pretty much it. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Well, I've got a, uh, one or two little pieces. Let's start with the most relevant to Doctor Who. Uh, probably most people on here have, have read the news by now that um, another Doctor Who uh, actor uh, has died recently. Graham Crowden dies age eighty-seven. Um, apparently, I didn't realise this. And so let me put the the link in from the BBC. Uh, news site um, he was actually offered the part of the Doctor I think before Tom Baker and he uh, actually played oh no what's the name of the actually play? he played in the horns of Nyman cool deed five points and um, yeah uh, he was in that but if you, if you read that little link that I put in the text and if you listen to this later you can come into the uh, what's called the uh, text chat grabber and um, and and see them, but um, yeah. Um, uh, in 1974, Crowden refused the lead role in Doctor Who because he did not want to commit himself to one part, and Tom Baker was cast as the Time Lord instead. Five years later, Crowden appeared as the villainous Soul Deed. You're right in four episodes opposite Tom Baker in the Horns of Nyman. So that's that piece of news. Um, other piece of news is that um, only slightly connected to it. Mark Gatiss has been having quite a bit of a resurgence in the UK. He's just done that uh, one of play of uh, his reimagining of H.G. Wells' first Men in the Moon uh, with um, the son, I think it's the son of... Uh, let me get the name right. The son of... Uh, uh, it's Rory Kinnear, anyway. Roy, son of Roy Kinnear. I think Roy Kinnear's been in one of the uh, Teddy Gilliam movies, when I think about it. Um, anyway, um, his latest thing is on Wednesday, and it's um, his adaption of a Poirot story. David Suchet, uh, Wednesday, ITV1 here in the UK, 8pm. Uh, uh, Don's the ben Belgian persona again. In another Agatha Christie Who Done It Halloween party, adapted from the man of the, by the man of the moment, Mark Gatiss. So he's certainly having uh, 
his moment in the spotlight. And um, one of the things, uh, was that, no, I think the, the other item I've got is something just to mention when we get on to our show. But before we actually go on to the main topic, which is, of course, from the mind of Terry Gilliam, let's hear from our friend Andy. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a sit point, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Hello, my name's Toby Haydoke, and you're listening to the Cultdom Collective Podcast. Okay, and up to the, as we get up to about 25 minutes, uh, I should welcome, by the way, uh, since we started the show, guests 9 and 10 in the room. Uh, we're doing our topic today on From the Mind of Terry Gilliam. And uh, unfortunately, um, Mike Randathor uh, can't join us on audio at the moment. And uh, hopefully we will have enough people in the room on audio to uh, give us some idea. What I'm going to do is I've got some little... Hello? Oh, you just... I thought you wanted to jump in there for a moment, Howley. Oh, no, sorry. That's okay. Um, I'm going to play uh, three or four clips from an interview that Terry Gilliam did uh, with One to One. It was on YouTube by the Al Jazeera TV channel. station which although it has that name it does have English speaking programs on it and I've got four little clips that I'll use fairly early on to um, give us our opening but um, very briefly from the Wikipedia page and this is now for something completely different so I don't usually read out from these Um, born 22nd of November same birthday as me 1940 so a little bit older than me Uh, the day of course from uh, very near to the Doctor Who, screenwriter, film director, animator, actor, and member of the Bonty Python comedy troupe. Gilliam is also known for directing several films, including Time Bandits, 1981, Brazil, 1985, The Fisher King, 1991, and Twelve Monkeys, 1995, and of course, more recently, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. But let's hear... Uh, a couple of brief short clips from this interview just to get us into the topic uh, proper. I mean, there's always somebody out there that's foolish enough to give me money. It's as simple as that. <laughs> uh, even within Hollywood, it was like that. When we made Fisher King, the, the two producers of it thought they were getting the chance to tame the wild beast. And they, you know, people like doing the, the difficult, so I become the difficult sometimes, and uh, they rise to the occasion. Great, great, huh? Tonight. It's not bad, John's and you. Can't complain. Can I interest anybody in a fruit pie? Uh? Yeah, thank you, Okay, um, and another clip again, just to get us going. The film is kind of different for me, even though my wife says they're all the same film, just with different costumes. No, I just, I deal with the things that are bothering me, that are concerning me, that are, or the things that are exciting me. It's as simple as that. I'm very infantile. I have to be possessed by the idea before I actually go through the process. Um, but I do want to keep opening people's eyes to 
number one, the possibilities, the limitations of, quote, what we think is reality. Uh, I like disturbing people. I actually, I like shaking them up a little bit, and sometimes a lot. Uh, and the most, if I to rate a successful film, it's which one left more shards in their brain than any other film did. Or things that, you know, when you, a week later you're thinking about the film. I want people to think about the films, or at least to have the films in there that they're they're dealing with. Because most films, you go and you spend your, your money, you get two hours there, and the entertainment's wonderful, and you leave, and there's no effect. You just go out, and I hate that. <laughs> okay. Um, just starting with his early career, and I don't know whether this is something that uh, Darth might be able to comment on when I've read it, um, but um, it says here, animations. Of course, that's where he comes from. Uh, Terry Gilliam, Gilliam started his career as an animator and a strip cartoonist. Uh, on his early photographic strips for Help, he, fe uh, he featured future Python cast member John Cleese. When Help folded, Gillian went to Europe, jokingly announcing that at the very last issue that he was being transferred to the European branch of the magazine, which of course did not exist. Moving to England, uh, the animated features for Do Not Just Your Set, which also featured uh, future Pythons, Eric Idle, Terry Jones and Michael Palin. Uh, and the help I'm going to ask you for, Darth, and I haven't prompted you on this, because uh, I know you like into comics and animation and so on, is help uh, a, a product that you've heard of? Uh, no. No? I thought it might be sort of one of the early progenitors of um, comic book strips and so on. It, it wasn't something that was uh, because he, he goes on to talk about the I think it was Mad Magazine that he worked for as well. Or he admired the Mad Magazine, and that was what got him into it. I mean, the only thing I can say is that this is something that, while it exists a little bit in the United States, it's something that is really common in um, Britain and indeed in some parts of Europe. I can think, especially of uh, Slovenia and Croatia and, and former Yugoslav states, where this kind of um, storytelling happens instead of it being you know um, sequential art it's sequential photographs I mean I think everybody's seen an example of this at some time or another and you can completely understand how he would have gone from this thing where you take you know one frame of something another frame of something another frame of something you put together a narrative and then you have speech bubbles out of those uh, real life let's say people's mouths um, you can see how he would have gone from that to the style of animation that's in that he's most famous for, which is of course you know the um, animation that fronts Monty Python. Um, that's you know extensive throughout Life of Brian, throughout the Monty Python movies as well as the TV series. So you can see how he would have moved from that to what he became famous for. Yeah, and of course I think it was before Howley's time, but they used to also very big in this country used to be. Um, photographic sort of romance stories for for young teens to read, you know, where, you know, yeah. boy meets girl and all this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Are they... I, uh, go on, Dowley. I think you probably still get them, but I've never been massively into it. <laughs> so, right. But, I mean, I, I suppose the, 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 the teenage market for that, isn't it? I suppose it's sort of 10 to 14-year-olds that it, that's aimed for. Yeah. Um, I, I do know that uh, if uh, in the eighties as well they started doing that even with um, pop videos they started doing sort of um, uh, they, they they would film it with normal people but then make it look like comic book 
um, events. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the most famous one of those. Okay, I'm going to zoom fairly quickly through these uh, Terry clips just to sort of generate some sort of uh, impetus to the show. So here's the third of the four clips. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I ended up working in New York on a magazine called Help uh, that was edited by Harvey Kurtzman, who was the great man, yeah. yeah, the great man who began Mad Comics and the hero of all of us. Comics, uh, comic artists of the 60s and 70s, and so I, that's what I was doing, uh, working in New York, and it, it was I was free. I had no money. We we, you know, we were making. I remember I, was, I got paid less than I would have gotten paid on the dole, yeah. two dollars less a week. But it was you know you were free doing what you want to do, and I met, and that's where I met John Cleese actually. Okay, and uh, I think Howley, you might have got the five points there. Uh, it was uh, was it ha ha? I'll take that. Um, it was I'm Zaha not... did a song called Take On Me, which ah. is half comics. Right. And th that was, that's just had a 25th anniversary or something, isn't it? I seem yeah. to remember. I, I seem to remember it being in the news again for some reason. It must have been some show about uh, you know early MTV or something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Darth has put um, an example of Gillum's help work in the text. It's from uh, www.wired.com table of table underscore of underscore malcontents and then, well probably if you get to their site and do a search you can find it. I'll be having a look at that brief one in a moment, uh, but I think I'll play the fourth of these clips because it, it sets the scene on our guide before we actually go and look at individual films that he directed and so on. What, would you, what do you think you'd have done if uh, Python hadn't come along? Hmm. That I don't know. I mean, I, I, strange enough, I always wanted to be a film director, and uh, but I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to work my way up through the Hollywood system. I've never been good at working my way up through systems. Uh, I was, I mean, I was always doing animation. I wasn't doing animation. I was doing cartoons and I was doing illustration. So that was going on. I don't know. I mean, I don't even. I actually, it's a question I don't think about. I mean, I just go by what life has thrown at me, and I live with it. So Python came along, and Python, you know, I started doing the animation, which led to doing what I really want to do, is directing films. So without Python, I don't know what I would be doing. And before we talk about Python, uh, I'm just looking at the link that uh, Darth very kindly put in there. It's uh, amazing black and white images of uh, <laughs> of this uh, help magazine with John Cleese in there. Uh, and what amazes me when I look at this, I see so many people on uh, YouTube doing um, Doctor Who ones with this, with you know the the Doctor Who. Um, Dolls. Well, I don't suppose I can call them dolls. I get into trouble calling them that. The mm. Doctor Who figures, uh, where people set them up with the TARDIS and and do stories. Uh, and uh, mm. this is obviously the progenitor of that brilliant stuff. <laughs> it looks like he's got a Barbie doll there, or is it a Cindy doll? Now there's a con. There's a there's a a thing for you. Okay. Um, now, uh, before we started, Howley, you said that um, although you didn't know particularly a lot about him, you could talk about the, the Monty Python section of uh, John Cleese, uh, the John Cleese of Terry Gilliam. Uh, do you want to have a stab at that, start us off? Vaguely, in so much as I've seen bits of Python, as it just 
it being one of those things that I think for anyone, maybe anyone in the UK, even if you don't see it, you go up going, oh, well, that's Python, you know, it's just one of those punctual things, if that makes sense, yeah? Yeah, it does. Right. Yeah, I do remember the first time seeing, what was it? Life of Brian, I was putting off doing an essay. Life of Brian was on the telly. So I sat and watched that instead and finally made sense of all those little things like, he's not a messiah, he's a very naughty boy. And suddenly go, oh, that's what that's from. (laughs) Right. And of course, he was considered the the American one of the group, wasn't he? In terms of, uh, he did obviously the opening, uh, the graphics, the, uh, the 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 ones that actually gave the Monty Python its style and uh, uh, personality, if you like. But he was probably the odd one out of the the, the group as a whole. Uh, obviously, with Eric Idle and Terry Jones and so on. Uh, I don't know. I'm not that. Right, well, let me read from uh, from the wiki again. Um, besides doing the animations, he also appeared in several sketches, though he rarely had any main roles and did considerably less acting in the sketches. He did, however, have some notable sketch roles, such as uh, Cardinal Fang in the Spanish Inquisition, uh, I Want More Beans, Most Awful Family in Britain, 1974, episode 45, and The Screaming Queen, uh, in a cape and mask singing Ding Dong Merrily on High. But I remember the uh, the Spanish Inquisition ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, well, we've obviously only got about uh, four, five people on audio here, so uh, you, please don't wait to come in on this. Charlie, is uh, what's your, your, do you know much about the Monty Python era? Have you just caught up with it much later on? Um, I, I think I've I started watching Monty Python. It was around high school or so, um, and I, I, I knew, um, you know, I knew of Terry Gilliam's, you know, early movies up the, or up to his movies up to the point, and I just seen, remember seeing his name in the credits, saying, "Oh, you know, you know, he, that's what he did before he became a, a film director." And um, yeah, and the, the whole thing with with Monty Python, the whole with the animation was just uh, a segue because they they wanted to do a. Um, they wanted to do a sketch comedy show, which had you know just kept on flowing from one sketch to another, and um, you know to, to, and uh, the animation that Terry Gilliam did basically was sort, sort of a unique way to do that. So yeah, yeah. And as uh, Millie put in text, no one expects this Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ian could do that a lot better. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, Darth, please don't stand on ceremony, buddy. I'm going to need all the help I can get here with this one. Um, any big fans? Were you a big fan of it, uh, Darth? Monty Python? Monty Python? Oh. Um, well, you know, sort of, I suppose. It is sort of foundational British comedy, but I mean, the thing I found about Monty Python was it was, it was it's very hard to relate to, I think, until you actually have gotten yourself more inculcated with Britishisms. I mean, I'm sure it's fine and revolutionary if you were British to start with, but if you're American trying to come into it, uh, despite the presence of this one, well, sort of American. Yeah. Well, he's not really American anymore. He's anyway. New Zealand, isn't he? Is he no, he's he British. Born? Oh, no, he, yeah. he's born in Minnesota, like Charlie's pointing out in text, but he renounced American citizenship and, uh, well, before I was even born. So... Um, you know, he, 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 while he was in Monty Python, he was British. 
Um, right. But it's very hard, I think, until you really get yourself to grips with what Britain of the 1970s was to fully appreciate, I think, Monty Python, the series. The movies are a little bit easier, I think, Michael Bryan and, and um, uh, Holy Grail especially. And I think that's one of the reasons why they have taken off um, – always took off in America. I mean, from the very start, they were always, you know, really prized by university students in America because there's not, those aren't really commentaries upon British society that much. A little bit of it can be, especially like Brian, but basically, uh, you know, they're just fun movies in and of themselves. The sketches, though, I think are really um, a product of the 1970s in Britain. There's a lot of commentary that you don't get until you actually start studying that period a little bit if you're from outside of the UK. So, uh, you know, it's uh, I've never regarded Monty Python, the television series, as something that I loved, but rather something that eventually I came to appreciate. Um, right. And, and, and there's course, still a lot of sketches in it that, like in any sketch comedy, there are a lot of sketches that sort of fall flat, that are like, what the hell is that just about, you know? But Monty Python is revolutionary, of course, because it just moves um, so quickly onto the next thing that even if you didn't like the last 30 seconds, the next minute and a half is probably going to be good. And we, of course, can't leave this without really noting the impact of Monty Python on the foundation of American sketch comedy because there's a great affinity between um, Monty Python and, you know, it's, it's inspiration to Lauren Green to make Saturday Night Live. I mean, one of the reasons that you have Monty Python, not not specifically Terry Gilliam, but um, who Eric Idle um, guest uh, guest hosting Saturday Night Live in its first season is because there's a direct you know connection and legacy to the way that uh, Monty Python was put together and the way that Saturday Night Live eventually came to be put together. So it's it's influence is certainly something I've benefited from. Um, but again, directly, it's taken me a long time to really like it, like it. Yeah, and and of course he was, I mean, like Merlin's put in one of the great sketches, the the dead parrot sketch and so on. But Terry Gilliam was definitely, um, I wouldn't say he was the outsider, but he, his his input was completely at variance in, well, not in variance, but uh, a completely different, um, what's the word I'm thinking? He brought a completely different element to the show, the all, the, the visual stuff. Quite, yeah. I mean, Terry Gilliam is responsible. Um, well, okay. A, a modern example might be, who is it? Tommy Shlami, who is, uh, I, think, I think I'm right in saying this, the, the, the original director of the, of the West Wing. And Tommy Shlami is the guy who came up with the walk and talk, which is a signature move, a visual move of that series. And from, from the pilot onward, the show always had you know, people walking and talking going really quick with the dialogue. And he, he is as indivisible to that show as is Aaron Sorkin, who's the writer. Um, and I think that very much the, the visual style, the, the quick intercuts, the, you know, the interjection of animation, um, to, the glue that holds it together visually is all Terry Gilliam, pretty much. And, and you see this very much as we get to Monty Python, uh, to um, Holy Grail, and the division of responsibility, you know, it's co-directed by him and um, who else? Terry Jones. Terry Jones, yeah. And 
you know, the division responsibility there, you know, it's clear that the Gilliam is in charge of, is basically the director of photography, really. I mean, I know there is another DOP on the project, but he is essentially in charge of, you know, the camera shots, the, the way the camera is moving, um, that sort of thing, whereas Jones is responsible for, you know, tweaking the acting performance. Um, and that's really what his relationship has always been to, to Python. It's making visual sense out of a lot of disparate elements. And he deserves a great deal of credit for that. Right. Okay. Well, let's, let's go to um, uh, a trailer for one of his first big films, his big breakthrough film, I suppose, uh, The Time Bandits. It's quite a long trailer, I'm sorry. It is well over two minutes. Remember my voice? I do trailers. All kinds of trailers. 23, take two. One day they'll put me in a film, a proper full-length job. Until then, I'm just stuck with this sort of stuff. Go and see this. Don't miss that. The most terrifying thing you ever saw is coming to babysit for you tonight. All right, cut it there. Look, just read what's on the script, will you? What? The script. Other way up. Ah. <clears throat> Ready? Yes, yes. You flock to see brief encounters for the special... Close! Huh? Close encounters. Close encounters. The film. Oh, I never saw it. Well, forget that film. We're on about our film. Time Bandits. You what? Time Bandits. The one you are supposed to be promoting. Remember? <laughs> You flocked to see Close Encounters for the special effects. You went to Superman to see a man fly. You went to Star Wars for the droids. You went... Now what? What's page two, It's under page one. See? Okay. Time bandits can offer you much, much more. It's not the special effects. Or flying men, or droids, which makes Time Bandits a unique cinematic. Cinematic! You know, pertaining to the cinema. Cinematic experience, it's the makeup. Yes, folks, you've never seen anything like it. Men made up to look like monsters. Monsters made up to look like men. Look alike men made up to look different. Different men made up to look alike. No expense has been paired, spared on the pan stick. The pan stick. No expense has been spared flying in the world's greatest makeup man. Just a minute, just a minute. What about the plot? The what? The plot. What the film is about. Well, I haven't seen it, have I? Haven't seen it? You're sitting there telling millions of people to go and see a film you haven't even seen. Well, I can't see every film I do, now, can I? Oh, wonderful. Terrific. Look, give me that. What are you doing? Taking over. You're out. O-U-P. Finish. Kaput. Finito. And what about the trailer? I'll do it. Time Bandits. It's an awfully good film. We have worked ever so hard on it. It's a tremendous adventure story. We like it, and we're pretty sure you will. <laughs> What's wrong with it? It's direct, punchy, honest. Honest. <laughs> honest. Smartest. What's that got to do with that? I think I could hear Darth saying, I haven't seen it, have I? <laughs> it just sounded like you there. <laughs> oh, well, it amused me. 
Uh, I mean, even the trailer is uh, off the wall, isn't it? Uh, now, Howley, I believe you know a little bit about this one. Um, yes, I saw it around my friend's house. Which I think I've probably been about 11 at the time, maybe 10. And the only bit that stuck with me ever since, I couldn't remember the title of the film or anything that happened. I could just remember the sort of the last five minutes or so. And it gave me nightmares for ages. <laughs> Freaks me out a little bit. I don't like that film. Horrible. I mean, was it the imagery or just the um, the irreverence? Or it was actually scary. It was pretty much just the last five minutes. I don't want to say what happened because, you know, right. spoilers, even though it's God knows how many years old. But um, just literally the events of the last five minutes or so when he gets back. And that was the sort of thing that I used to have nightmares about when I was little. So seeing it on film, I just oh, I don't like it. <laughs> fine with the rest of the film. The rest of it was fine. Just just the very end. And that was what stood with me. I've right. not watched it since. <laughs> I must admit, it's a long time ago since I saw it. I think it was only because my son wanted to watch it and uh, I ended up watching it with him. Uh, I seem to remember it, it. Well, it seemed a long film to me, but perhaps I can't remember whether it was or not. Yeah, I think it seemed longer than it is, but then lots of films <laughs> seem to go on. I think that's right. That's right. Okay, ha um, Charlie, uh, uh, Charlie, have you seen this one? Are you familiar with it? Yeah, I saw it. I think I saw it. I don't know, like maybe ten, fifteen years ago. It's like one of those things. Yeah, I don't really remember that much about it. Just you know, some of the imagery, like you know, like you said, like the very end of the movie with seeing Sean Connery dressed as a fireman, and um, and like the beginning of the movie with the whole uh, the, the the head the floating head going through the hallway, and just, that's basically the, the um, yeah, the ending is horrible. Um, uh, but the main thing about Terry Gilliam movies is probably more of the Im imagery. That uh, sticks with you than everything else. You know, uh, you've seen John Cleese as Robin Hood and Ian Holm as um, Napoleon. But yeah, I have, like I said, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I can't really. Uh, yeah, and David uh, Warner was in it again. Somebody put in text. Yeah, David Warner, um, of course. Who's in it? Been in every science fiction thing I've ever seen, I think. Very and how much. many Star Treks and things he's been in? God knows. Yeah. Okay, um, Darth, do you want to comment on this one? Oh, Ian, Ian Holm as well, yeah. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I saw it, and I remember yeah. liking it. Uh, a long time. I've I've never seen it but in the theater, so I don't really... I remember very little about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just 1981 that came out, so it's near, nearly 20 years ago. Um, I don't know if it's been issued on Blu-ray or not, but... Uh, and I was that one that Tim mentioned that he got on Blu-ray, but certainly not. Okay, well, we'll, we'll move through these because um, we're not going to make the show long for any other purposes. And just to mention that the guests that have come in uh, that are just listening on audio at the moment, you can either try and get on audio. We had the announcement earlier, but I'll just repeat it for them now. Uh, if you're in America, you can phone in the number 724 444-7444. Uh, you can use a SIP client, uh, that's like X-Lite or SJ phone, and use uh, the code 66.212.134.192. Or uh, indeed, if you're in the pro client, you can click on the shoe phone application and join us on audio with that. Okay, well, in 1985, four years later, we had uh, Brazil. The rules of the game are laid down. We all have to play by them. Look 
at you, Sam. Whatever happened to you? An empty desk is an efficient desk. Let a friend tell you. Your life is going wrong. Now, shape up! Do cooperate. Think of your mother. Has anybody seen Sam Lowry? Sam, it's time for you to grow up and accept responsibility. You'll never get anywhere in a suit like that. Yes, yes, yes. Sam, what are we going to do with you? You must have hopes, wishes, dreams. No, nothing. Not even dreams. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I want. You won't believe this. Um, I know it's going to sound incredible, but, um, but I've been dreaming about you. I mean, I love you. In my dreams, I love you. Okay. Until this all blows over, just stay away from me. And there's another one of my mistakes. I've been corrected in text. Yes, 1981 is... Uh, <laughs> it's nearly 30 years ago. I can't believe it. Uh, I'm thinking uh, 2000. Good grief. Yeah. No wonder I we can't remember it. I was born in 92 and I'm nearly 20. <laughs> it was a scary thought. That's not right. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I don't know where the years go. Yeah. Well. Never mind. They don't go fast at your age. You're all right. Plenty of time yet. <laughs> um, okay. Um, and we heard um, one of the uh, Monty Python crew in there towards the end. Um, and a James Bond baddie as well, whose name I can't remember. Um, Jonathan Price. Five points. Jo- <laughs> Jonathan Price. Yes, that's it. He played the, uh, the news mongol, didn't he? He was putting satellites up and so on. Very funny plot line that was for the uh, thing. And he played the master in the, was that in the, uh, the Fatal Death one, was it? Right, Curse the Fatal Death, yeah. <laughs> Curse the Fatal Death. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that you, you often find with things that are made in the UK anyway. The, the number of the same group of stellar cast keep coming back. Yeah, Jonathan Price. It says he was in Brazil. Adventures of Baron Munchausen and the Brothers Grimm, who so was in three of his films. Uh, so quite a few of them. Um, same with uh, Robin Williams was in more than one or two. Uh, but it seems a lot of these um, um, directors seem to gather around them in the same cast. Um, you know, they get the, the working sets, don't they? Um, Clint Eastwood uh, is always well known for having the same people in his films. Um, who else? Hitchcock. He had his uh, certain muses that he brought back to these films. Uh, Christopher Plummer being in Twelve Monkeys and the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Uh, so most of them, if you look, um, Johnny Depp. Well, when we talked before um, about Johnny Depp being in... Um, who? What, which was the story we were doing for jo- Johnny Depp? Oh, um, the Tim Burton re- retrospective. 
That's right. Yeah, we did from the mind of Tim Burton. That's right. I think that was um, something like episode 34 of the Colton Collective. Uh, 33 or 34, we did that. Okay, uh, in fact, I can look that up. Anybody want to comment on this particular film? I've just played the clip. Uh, people didn't like it, I did. Um, well, I, I, I think I saw this movie a bit. Um, I watched it a year ago or so, and it's, it's, one, it's kind of... And there was this whole history about um, about this movie, how... Um, um, universal, so that, so when they saw this, they want they wanted to, they wanted to you know cut it up and change the ending and, and such like that. And um, like on the DVD, there's the, there's a whole documentary called the, the Battle for Brazil, which is pretty good and it t- talks about um, you know Terry Gilliam sneaking a copy to the to the critics, so before uh, before Universal can get their hands on it and uh, and you know and you know the critics, I think the general um, um, opinion that it was it, it was a good movie, so um, you know, so, so Universal couldn't couldn't uh, you know change the ending, and uh, but uh, also on the DVD there is like a three disc set I think, and there's um a, a, an alternate version of it that uh, that has the sort of it's called the Love Conquers All version, which kind of has which um, like appears on syndication TV once in a while, but it is one of those movies where sort of like you either you know like it like or like when Merlin said it hurt my, hurt my head when I watched it I haven't watched it since so it's, it is kind of it, it is kind of one of those movies where anyway it's it's one of those it's it's sort of like you know I have a vision and if, you know and if you don't see the vision it's you're gonna you're gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna like it but it you know I I said I it's 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 easy I came out 85 same year as Back to the Future so it's kind of it's it's, it's kind of sort of like the the antithesis of that movie, um, showing, showing sort of a dystopian thing. But yeah, I mean it's 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 all right. I mean I think you know John the Price is all right in the movie. It's sort of you know it's the antithesis of, uh, of being playing a bad guy. Um, Robert De Niro is all right in the movie, and um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well, before we go to anybody else, let me just, uh, I've just checked it out. It was actually uh, episode 31 that we covered uh, from the mind of Tim Burton. If you want to go back and check that from our Talk You, Talk you site, 54821. And we actually did that, would you believe, uh, wow, uh, the 28th of February of this year. So, uh, you know, getting on for nine months ago by now. Okay, uh, Darth, any comments on this particular film? He might be muted taking a phone call. Oh. Well, he said he never saw it, so. All right, fair enough, yeah. Okay, uh, well, let's move through. I'm not going to dwell on things just for the sake of it. If anybody in uh, any of our guests want to type anything in the text, we'll try and read it out, especially if I see it. <laughs> and we'll move on to, um, now we're up to, uh, oh, six years later. He's not that prolific in terms of his films, is he? He seems to pick and choose his uh, stories. It's um, The Fisher King from 1991. Okay, Jack, we're on the air in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, it's Monday morning, and I'm Jack Lucas. In the world of talk radio, Jack Lucas was king. Look, I said I want an offer they can forget it. To stay on top, he did whatever he had to. Forgive me! But one day... Jack went too far. 
It was Mr. Lucas's offhand remark that seemed to have fatal impact on Mr. Malnick. No matter what I have, it feels like I have nothing. Yo, what's going on? And just when he was about to give up on his own life, he stumbled into Perry's. he's never done before. Isn't she a vision? I'm deeply smitten. Help someone else. I thought that if I could get him this uh, this girl that he loves, things would change for me. Let's do it right here. Let's go to that place of plunder in the ground. I'm Mrs. Perry. Perry. Perry, Perry. No, just Perry. Huh? Like Marvel. <laughs> I think... Sometimes, to find yourself... I'm the janitor of God. Find some pretty wonderful things in the trash. You have to risk it all. Bingo! I'm not doing that. Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges, The Fisher King. I love this guy! Yeah, and uh, Charlie, who gets another five points, realized... Uh, Blimey, third mistake of mine today. I'm really on the ball here. Um, because I was looking at the top of the wiki page, uh, it, it jumped from Brazil to the Fisher King. But quite rightly, uh, Charlie points out uh, in 88, we had the adventures of Baron Munchausen. So we'll go to that next, if we may. We're, now we've played this clip. And Merlin points out, yes, Uma Thurman, uh, when I was watching the uh, the clip of that, it shows her coming out like uh, uh, Venus out of the... Sh uh, like. Uh, Botticelli's uh, Venus coming out of the um, the shell, isn't it? Um, okay, uh, are we out of your territory now, Howley, or not with this one? Pretty much, yeah. I've only seen Python and um, Time Bandits. Okay. Uh, right, Charlie, while we're on this one, do you want to comment about uh, this one? Of course, uh, the, the main star was Jeff Bridges, who has, has started some unusual films himself, uh, some great ones. I liked him in The Fabulous Baker Boys. The Great Lebowski, I think, is... That's another yep. one of Darth's friend ones, I think. And, of course, he won an Academy Award for Best Actor, finally. Is it in Crazy Heart? Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, I haven't seen this movie, so I can't really comment on it. Sorry. Look, you know more than me about most things, whether you've seen them or not. No, I haven't, I haven't seen Fisher King yet. So. Right. Okay, and Darth, any comments on this one? No, it might be that he's had to step away from the thing. So um, I'll give him a chance to come in on that. Darth, if you're muted, or for whatever reason, and you want to come back to um, uh, that one, uh, we will do so. But we are racing through them quite well, quite quickly. We might all be home for tea. Uh, and we'll play the trailer from the... Uh, the Baron Munchausen one that uh, was from 1988. From the director of Time Bandits and Brazil, a new movie full of noise. Have you 
me, madam. Your underwear is in good comments to make on this one? Charlie? Um, yeah, this is one of those movies I haven't watched in a while. This is one of those ones I probably saw it maybe 20 years ago or maybe 15 years ago or so. Um, yeah, again, it's the visuals, you know, things like um, like Eric Idle uh, was a, 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 a someone who could run really fast and was scene where he outruns a bullet and blocks the <laughs> bullet because, because, you know, and uh, yeah, like Merlin said, um, uh, Robin Williams plays the King of the Moon, and that yeah, that, that, that's a that's a well-known scene, and yeah, it's like yeah, it's, it's one of those it's it's one of those again, it's a very visual film coming from Terry Gilliam, no no surprise there. So, um. all right, uh, and um, I'm I'm going to assume Darth will come back in when he's available to. Um, Howley, we we're, we're uh, people listening to the recording later. We've got quite a number of people in the room, but not that many are here on actual uh, audio mic. So uh, that's why we're sort of skating through these fairly quickly. If you feel as though we haven't done this topic any justice, well, please, when you um, uh, think about next Sunday and it gets round to 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, try and join us live on the Colton Collective. The contributions, as uh, Ian and myself always say, come from the collective in the room. And um, uh, unfortunately, uh, I know Mike Randathor uh, is unfortunately not able to join us. And as you heard, if you were here at the beginning of the show, um, uh, Tim had to uh, leave the, the cast early. Okay, um, well, uh, we're, we're moving at an ever faster pace. So um, let me move us on to 12 Monkeys, which uh, was in 1995. So uh, we did the last two out of order. Let me just give you the the timeline a little bit more clearly. Um, um, That was uh, uh, 1988. Brazil, which we we did out of order. um, the, The Fisher King we did out of order was 1991. And we're now up to 19... 95, I think, 
with the 12 Monkeys. You're a very good observer, Cole. We have a very advanced program, something very different. An opportunity to reduce your sentence considerably. And possibly play an important role in returning the human race to the surface of the Earth. No license, no prints, no warrants. Nobody took on five cops like people just into the eyeballs. What year is this? What year do you think it is? 1996. That's the future, James. You think you're living in the future? I'm simply trying to gather information to help the people in the present trace the path of the virus. We're not in the present now. This is a place for crazy people. I'm not saying you're not mentally ill. For all I know, you're <laughs> crazy as a loon. The army of the 12 monkeys, they're the ones that spread the virus. Monkeys. We've been living in a meticulously constructed fantasy world. That world is starting to disintegrate. You're going to become addicted to that dying world? No, sir. He needs help. I think I'm crazy when people start dying next month. I don't belong here. You're here because of the system. I know some things that you don't know. Yes, my son. Send me to the wrong year. You're certain of that? Science ain't an exact science. You had a bullet from World War One in your leg, James. How did it get there? I don't know. You're a trained psychiatrist. You know the difference between what's real and what's not. You said that I had delusions. You said you could explain. I'm trying to. I want the future to be unknown. I can help you. Get you out. back on top in charge of the planet. Wow. Now, this is a, a film I, I have watched much more recently. And, of course, I, I, this is more of a science fiction film to me rather than these other ones that are more flights of fantasy and what have you. Uh, and I, I certainly enjoyed this. I thought the only strange part about it was the, the, the Brad Pitt characterization. But, of course... Playing a mad person is uh, pretty difficult to pin down in any sense anyway. But uh, who have we got in this one? Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, Brad Pitt, Christopher Plummer. And um, although a very convoluted uh, film that you have to watch, uh, and I do think that Bruce Willis has been in some good science fiction films, I I rate uh, 12 Monkeys uh, pretty high. Um, Probably of the ones that we've discussed up to now, the one that I've taken more, much more than a passing interest in, and the one that I feel as though, um, you know, is definitely worth watching two or three times. Some people might argue you have to, <laughs> you have to watch it two or three times. Um, let me see. Um, it was um, oh, quite a long film, just two hours, seven minutes. As I say, it came out in uh, 1995. Uh, anybody want to comment on this one? Howley, do you watch... Have you watched this? I know you've not watched many of them, but as, as a science fiction one, have you watched this one? I don't think I have, no. Uh, well, I would think of all the ones that we've covered today that you haven't seen and you're wondering whether to bother to check any out, uh, I would suggest this one, although it is, um, you know, you've got to sort of grit your teeth and follow it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Charlie, what about yourself? Yeah, I, like I said, I, I, I saw it probably around... 96 or so when it came on video and I've, I've only seen it I've seen it once so um but I remember, remember I really liking it at the time when I saw it so you know I, I again it's probably one of those ones I should catch up on yeah uh, and it is definitely as I say much more of a science 
science fiction one than any of the other ones, I think. So um, that's it. Uh, I'm assuming that Darth will pipe up as soon as he gets back to his machine. So um, let me think. I don't know if there's anything. I don't want to just read from the wiki page, but I've put that up. It's obviously en.wikipedia.org forward slash wiki 12 monkeys. It's as simple as that to find out about it. And uh, uh, Brad Pitt uh, was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in that. He had that uh, period, didn't he, when he tried to get away from uh, looking good. I mean, he, um, he gr- well, I'm not sure whether this was the same time, but when he was going out with Jennifer Aniston, I'm married to her, you know, he grew a beard and tried to make himself um, uh, do all these strange roles. I think he was trying to get himself recognised as an actor rather than just a uh, uh, boy beautiful or whatever he'd been earmarked before that. And then, of course, he went and buffed himself up for Troy, didn't he? Playing Achilles. Uh, which apparently Jennifer Aniston was quite pleased about. But, um, Howley, any. Uh, there's nothing that would have drawn you to that one, or is it just a, a film that passed you by? I mean, 1995. Oh, God, I was to say that's um, not long ago, but it's 15 years. I would have only been about three or four at the time. So, uh, but, it, but it has, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's been on TV two or three times recently, probably on the film four a few times. Yeah, a lot of it with that, can't talk. A lot of this passes me by because um, my freeview box at home pretty much picks about four channels to show and film four isn't one of them. So a lot of things, people go, oh, you've got to have seen this. And doesn't come on my telly. <laughs> yeah, I've got a feeling it was, it was on only this last uh, week or so. Um, I've not had a telly yeah. since I've been here. I've been relying on things that are uh, on the internet for the past month well, and a half. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, if you haven't got a, a TV, then uh, people need to know you haven't got a TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so... Um, Charlie, have you got any more comments to add? And let me just, while you think of something, let's just check. <laughs> it's the ori- origin, origin of Ball Bruce. Uh, oh, that's question mark, Merlin. I don't know. I remember seeing him um, on something like the David Letterman show, or it might have even been um, his competitor, the, the, the Jay Leno show at the time. Uh, and he, ca- he came on stage, I think, looking bald. And I must admit being quite surprised when I saw it. Uh, which was strange, of course, because his then wife was also going bald for, was it G.I. Jane? Was that about the right, the same time? Charlie, chance for five uh, points? I think that was a couple of years later, but, you know, you know mid to late 90s. Right, yeah. Because she went, she went bald for that role, didn't she? Yeah. Uh, they see, the, Britney Spears thinks she's a trendsetter, but these guys have been doing it long before that. <laughs> okay, well, I haven't got clips for every film that they've done. In actual fact, uh, what I'm going to do is, unless anybody else... Well, we can, we can wrap up any bits that we've missed out, but the only one I've got uh, now is a... I've got the Monty Python tune to play us out then, but um, I've got a clip uh, from the trailer of... Um, um, let me get it right. The Imaginarium of Dr. Panassus. Um, oh, no, I haven't. I tell a lie. What I have got is a little clip of um, Terry Gillum talking about the making of it and uh, the fact that um, Heath Ledger uh, had died during the making of that because, of course, it was, in actual fact, his last uh, film. The Dark Knight was his, his the, the, 
the one he completed, but he'd actually been doing some footage on uh, the Imaginarium of Dr. Panassas. So it's actually just a short clip. It's not the trailer for the film, I don't think. Here we go. From the director of Time Bandits and Brazil, a new movie full of noise. Is that one of my mistakes? I think it might be. <laughs> and now for something completely different. It was madness, frankly, trying to you know, rescue a film with Heath dying in the middle of it. Uh, but I think the, the sheer pressure of having to do something made us just go for it. You couldn't, you couldn't double think anything. You just make some decisions, jump in, and hope it worked. And, but shooting it uh, after that point was I was never sure whether it would or wouldn't work, but I can actually say it works, and it works brilliantly. Because <laughs> Johnny, Colin, and Jude were amazing. They just lifted the whole thing. Okay, um, there's quite a lot of news items about that where, you know, what they were going to do. And um, they so put the link in. And, and I think the solution was they had about three other people play the same part that Heath had played. Is that right, Charlie? Yeah, because there's the whole thing about, I haven't seen the movie yet. So, um, But there's the whole thing about, the whole, like, some dreamland. So they just had, you know, is that uh, Johnny Depp and um, I can't remember who else, who else it was. It was... Um, other actors. Um, uh, Jude Law, Corinne Jude Law. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Five points. Oh, right. oh you kind man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they they played the same character, but with the with, obviously with different looks, yeah. Legends role was recast with Johnny Depp, Jude Law, and Corinne Farrell portraying transformations of Ledger's character as he travels through a dream world. Made its world premiere in the 19, in the 62nd Cannes Film Festival. Uh, UK release of the film was scheduled for June, 6th of June 2009, but pushed back to the 16th of October due to its successful premiere at Cannes. Uh, and then the film was given a limited release in the US on Christmas Day 2009, and then later in January. Uh, nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Art Direction uh, and Best Costume Design. Um, and again, uh, Christopher Plummer was in it, uh, Heath Ledger, of course, uh, uh, Tom Waits, Johnny Depp, Corinne Farrell, Jude Law. Um, and uh, I remember seeing the, the, the clip. Of, I don't know why I haven't got the um, the audio for that. I thought I had. Uh, obviously, I must have run out of time before our show started. So um, pretty much we're, we're running out of steam. Uh, Darth seems to have stepped away uh, from his mic. Darth, do you want to come in at this point? Because otherwise we're going to be closing the show pretty soon, I think. Okay, uh, let's just go on to general comments from each of us on mic, and if anybody wants to put in text, what do we think of Terry Gilliam's contribution to um, uh, the filmmaking and, uh, uh, you know, creative thought? And I'll just give you one little... Uh, snippet that I heard on uh, in the UK um, BBC Film Night 2010 has just restarted um, now being run by um, uh, Carol Winkleman is it? Um, Claudia Winkleman and uh, they're now doing it live uh, because uh, Jonathan Ross has uh, stepped down as he's left BBC and on the first one they were talking to uh, I can't pronounce his name but it's Del Toro uh, the director of Pan's Labyrinth. 
Benicio del Toro. What's the first name, Carly? Benicio, Benicio del Toro. Benicio, Benicio, that's it. Another five points. Benicio del Toro, uh, he was being interviewed on it, and he said that Terry Gilliam, for his money, was the most influential current direct, well, director of our times. He thought Terry Gilliam was the most influential in creativity of our times at the moment. So um, he obviously holds him in very high regard. So how would you um, total up, if we can, very quickly, as it's going to be quick because of the number of people in the room, um, uh, Terry Gilliam's contribution to um, theatre and TV? Charlie, can I let you go first? Sure. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm sort of, um, I don't want to say it. I haven't watched any, um, uh, any, um, any of his movies lately. Um, he's, he is sort of, like, like I said, he's probably no more for his visual style than for anything else, and also for um, sort of having you know, fights with the, the studio heads about um, you know, having, you know, sort, of, sort of having his vision. There's always this whole um, you know, this battle between, between directors and the, the studios about, you know, and who, and who wins over it. And, um, you know, there was a, there was a documentary that came out a couple of years ago about, uh, you know, called Lost in La Mancha, which he was, he was, he was, he was doing, doing a movie on, um, on the, called him the man who killed Oh, there were all sorts of disasters, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it was, it was, it was made by the same, there was a, documentary crew that followed him while making 12 monkeys and they followed him around in here and it was one of those movies where you know very early on because you know the star of the movie you know got sick and and um and they, yeah. they said you know, there was a change of hands in production and and, and so uh you know they, you know and so the movie never got made and it's it's, it's one of those movies where you know you, see, you can see on uh, terry gilliam you know he cusses you know, like maybe like the, the, the second day of uh, you know you know, you know we're out of luck. Just the the the, the clean up version. Um, yeah, it's probably one of those probably one of those movies I would recommend to see. Um, sort of the process of you know how a movie can go wrong. Well, he is having it is in pre production. He's having another go at it, isn't he? Yeah, I've always heard stories about you know that movie coming back, but you know so uh, even because they've shot footage and you know Johnny Depp's. I'm sure yeah. he's pretty, pretty, pretty would uh, would jump on the the on 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 the you know do the do the movie again, but uh, and you know you always hear you hear stories about that you like he was he was uh, he was interested in, in uh, directing um, Watchmen years ago, and also and also J.K. Rowling was it was uh, wanting him to direct the first Harry Potter movie, but um, you know these things in Hollywood you know they you know they fall through. And uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah. Like I said, it, it, that's basically what, what I have to say about Terry Gilliam. Like I said, I'll I should go back and see the watch rewatch movies I've seen and watch the ones I haven't seen. But yeah, yeah. Like like well, Merlin you... said, it's different. Yeah, uh, just I uh, put in the, a link in there. It, Lost in La Mancha was the right. documentary, 2002, narrated by Jeff Bridges. Pat Terry Gilliam's failed first attempt to make The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, um, uh, a film adaption, obviously, of the novel Don Quixote. Um, and I think that sort of uh, at least helped them cover some of their costs that they'd incurred. But, um, I mean, obviously, films like that, I mean, what we, we, we read before, uh, we talked before about Waterworld, 
being so costly because half the set was wiped away, wasn't it, with a typhoon and that. So, I mean, these things can happen. Uh, but he, he does seem to have been plagued with all sorts of disasters during the making of that. Okay, uh, have a look, was it? Oh, yeah, um... On the first day, this, 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 I mean, they, they send these crews out to scope these places, don't they? On the first day of shooting, the crew discovered that their outdoor filming location uh, in the area known as Bardenanus Realis or something was plagued by nearly constant noise from a nearby NATO aircraft target practice area. He decided to continue capturing footage, expecting it to replace the audio. Oh, re expecting to replace the audio in post-production. The second day of shooting featured a flash flood and hail, which damaged the equipment and permanently changed the appearance of the location, where some some of the shots have not yet been completed. Oh dear me, it sounds awful. Uh, Howley, uh, what do you think of uh, Terry Gilliam? Either before we started our little talk or after, do you do you feel as though there's more to his movies than you might have thought? Is it somebody you'll give a, a look to some of his films now, or are you not really bothered? Is it all overrated? No, no it's interesting, sort of finding out sort of the bits that he does because I've seen it. There are films that you like, and you go and find out every single thing you can, and there are other films that you just watch so it'd be interesting to go and find some of them I think yeah. well I think certainly that there's been a few of the uh, 12 Monkeys has definitely been on uh, and Time Bandits is one of those that again comes on film for which you haven't got a TV I know but you do go home perhaps or you can go to a, a, another student's flat or whatever and, and check them out but um, uh, or of course get them on your student budget for a DVD or something yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to go next, and then I'll just give Darth one more call out. The other people, by the way, um, I don't think I've. Uh, if I can ask you, Charlie, while I just talk, I can't do two things at once. Just in case anybody else puts anything in chat that needs reading out, um, I think he's a little bit overrated in terms of some of these films because you certainly have to. Um, uh, it's one of those things where some of the films, films like Time Man, it's, I feel as though you go and you think, this is arty, it's going to do me good, so I'll, I'll watch it. Uh, because it's off the wall, it must be good. I, I remember seeing, I don't know what film it was, I'd been to the theatre, but the trailer for the um, Imaginarium of Dr. Panastas came on, and I didn't really like the look of the trailer. But then again, there, there are a lot of, I mean, when I saw the trailer for Alice in Wonderland, um, um, with Johnny Depp, I didn't particularly like the look of that, so I never bothered actually watching that as a film. Um, I mean, I don't really take too much to adverts, but I must admit a bad advert or a, a trailer that's sort of uh, slightly off-key can really put you off a film in some ways. But I, I do I do think there's one or two I should check out. I think probably, now I'm a bit more mature, <laughs> uh, I, I think I ought to at least give the... Uh, Fisher King, uh, another good look at. I, I don't think I'm ready for Brazil yet. Uh, Time Bandits, I can't really stand. Um, but uh, uh, 12 Monkeys, I must have watched that about three or four times over the last 10 years. So that is a film that um, you know I'm quite happy to watch when it comes on. It's a bit of a depressing film, but it's certainly... Um, uh, a watchable film, unless of course you're one of these people who just can't stand Bruce Willis or something. Um, but other than that, 
um, I think the one film I'm going to revisit after doing this show uh, will be The Fisher King. Um, and um, probably that sums up my thing. And of course, he, he, he does um, make quite a contribution to the Monty Python in the early days for the look and feel of it and the actual um, visuals on that. OK, I'm going to give one more call out to Darth, but if he doesn't come in audio, uh, I'm going to get ready to sort of uh, play us out. So, Darth, are you there, back on audio? I know he said he had text, he had to step away from his computer. OK, then that, we'll call it a wrap, folks. Um, uh, we've done about an hour and a half. Uh, we were getting to two hours, 40 minutes on our more recent shows, so it won't do any harm for us to get away. And those people who want to go and see a single father here in the UK will be able to get away and make it. And as I say, that guest 12 comes into the room. You're welcome. I'll allow text chat for you. But we are just about to close up the show. Please, um, uh, in about 10 minutes, it will be up on the feeds and you'll be able to catch it. That's uh, the Colton Collective Podcast, Talk Show ID 54821. I'm saying that to you, guest 12. You think, well, why is he saying that? I'm already in the room. I can know which idea it is. But that's where you'll be able to listen to the recording once we've closed the programme. Just to let's say that next Sunday, which is uh, the 31st of October, episode 70, and we're doing a history of horror. And that is the uh, Mark uh, Gatiss, who's, as I mentioned right at the beginning, with his Pryro adaption and his uh, first Men in the Moon both have been on TV recently in the UK. He's been doing a three-part private view through the history of horror. So we're going to start from Nosferatu all the way to modern day. Uh, Howley, don't get upset, but things like Twilight. So, um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, But there may be fans that want to come on for that. And then um, the week after that, episode 71, which will be on the 7th of October. And please note, that will be when, in America, you will have switched to uh, Eastern Standard Time. So that will be at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that will be an hour uh, earlier, I think, for us, Howley. That will be 6 p.m. British summertime, uh, because we won't have gone on to um, wintertime yet, I don't think. Uh, but we'll have to check. I can't. I can never remember when the clocks go back. But suffice it to say, if you're not in the states, just check when the hour goes back in your country. I say that because we have listeners in Australia and so on. And that episode will be sci-fi music in film and TV, theme music, mood music, and no doubt we will get onto the marvelous uh, Murray Gold music for Doctor Who as we bring that to a close. Well, as we hit the one-hour, 30-minute mark, um, there we are. I think I've only made three deliberate mistakes, Ian. So I hope when you listen back to this, uh, I won't get too much of a beating up on it. I'm going to play us out with the uh, Monty Python theme tune and then play the outro. So thank you, everybody. Charlie, uh, 79P. Thank you, uh, Howley. Thank you, Darth. Uh, Thank you, Tim. Uh, all those people on audio and in the room, Merlin, uh, guest 11, 9, uh, Randall Thor, of course, um, guest 10, 12, Bellis 42. Thank you and hope you'll try and join us uh, next week. Uh, thank you all. Bye. And now for something completely different. <laughs>